said, are you going to start it by opening up with a question or? Not really. Mother's we just started going for it. She did? Yes. Okay. So you can just start going. <coughs> Let me know when you want to start. Okay, this is Cleo Jackson Rhodes III, also known as Jack Rhodes. Today's date is uh, November 12th of 2022. We're fixing in on the end of the year. I want to start with my grandparents, which would be Cleo Jackson Rhodes Sr. and Hazel. Rhodes. Uh, they're my dad's mom and dad. Uh, and then on my mom's side is, I think it's Lenarda's. Can you remember? You did Ancestry.com. Is it Lenarda? And then Milton Ring uh, on my mom's side. Anyways, my earliest memories uh, are of going out to my grandmother's house. And I was probably about three years old. And uh, I remember sitting for a picture on the floor and then also going up and seeing my grand, uh, grand, Grandpa Ring. He was not doing real well. He was sick and he was in bed. And I remember he gave us little kisses. Yes. What are okay. Uh, well, Peg will, Peg will fill us in. Uh, and so he always knew... My, so now my mom has on well let me start start back with my on my dad's side my dad has one sister uh she's approximately seven eight years younger than him i think six years maybe and then on my mom's side she's one of nine kids so the oldest is june and she was married to uh all i know is they called him doc uh their last name was thompson and then after june was mary bunnell married to richard and he was, uh, uh, she was probably, when I was younger, one of my closer aunts. Also, my Aunt Donna on my dad's side, uh, her husband was Chuck, I didn't say that. And then after Aunt Mary came, Bess, she was married to Mike Koval, Bess Koval, which she would love to know this, Tyler, is that uh, the age difference between my grandfather and my grandmother was he was 42 and she was 19 when they got married 23 years difference he had never been married he was just a, a farmer and apparently he the, my grandmother was taking care of his mom and she, apparently he chased her around the room or house and I guess he caught her so they got married and had nine kids so one time when I was 23 years old I told my aunt Bess I said I told her, I said, Bess, I said, Grandpa Ring was my age when Grandma Ring was uh, born. So yesterday at church, I was down, or last week at church, I was down in the nursery checking out all the prospects. And she just started laughing. She thought that was funny. And she says, we should get together and put a book together, all the funny sayings and things like that that have happened over the years that, you know, the family said. So she, Tyler, she would really appreciate this. She's still alive. Uh and uh, so after Bess comes my, mo- uh, my mom, who was the fourth girl. So the first four kids were girls on that side. And then came Lauren, married to uh, Aunt uh, Nancy uh, Ring. And then after that was Richard, married to Joan Ring. 
and then Paul married to Mary Ring, and then Milton Ring married to Joyce Ring, Mildy, and then the last of the nine was Aunt Rachel married to Jim Spear. So that was, that was my family on my mom and my dad's side. Um, and so I, I remember going out there as kids, we would go out and they'd have dogs and they'd chase the car. And so we'd get there and Peg and I were always just afraid. They were crawling up my mom's leg, trying to get away from them. Sue didn't care. She'd walk around, dogs would kiss her and stuff like that. And she, she'd never think nothing of it. Uh, but these were big dogs, big German shepherds that would chase stuff. <clears throat> so I was, we were afraid, but, uh, so those are the earliest memory I have some reason of that, of that, uh, day we took the picture and we have a picture of it. I should pull it out at some point. Uh, the other thing I remember is being young is living in the house on the East side that my dad fixed up the f first house that where I was born at that, the, that house the deed of it was, it was standing in 1832, and Conneaut, yeah. it's in Kanye, yep. In state of location. Oh, in location, Kanye, Ohio. That's where I grew up, and the house basically was an old farmhouse, and what it had, <coughs> excuse me, is it had 10-foot ceilings uh, in each floor with fireplaces on both sides, and that's how they heated the house, was by fireplace. So my dad fixed up every square inch of the house. In fact, the living room was six inches out of level. He had to pour concrete to level it out. So I just remember growing up in the, in that house and watching him work and do things like that. Uh, at Christmas time, I remember there'd be people that would pop in. Johnny Zepatella would pop in and bring some some food and stuff like that. It was one of dad and grandpa's friends. And I remember getting a goat cart and uh, I drove it around the house. You could, the house you could, inside you could go from one room to the other and make a circle. And so I got a go-kart and I was all excited about that. And so I'd drive it around the house. And then my dad would, he'd make us go upstairs and with Peg and Sue, I have two older sisters, uh, uh, Sue Rostin, who's just really old. And then Peg, uh, Peg Ames. <laughs> and uh, that's just a joke. And then myself, so I'm the youngest of uh, three. Why is that a joke? Uh, we're just always making fun of Sue being the oldest. Uh, but no, the, the, part. no the, the joke was, Aunt I just Sue. said that it was, yeah, Aunt uh, Sue, kidding her about being old. <clears throat> but, she yep, she turns 70 in January. So it will be, uh, she's going to have a big party down there. And uh, she doesn't look it, she's, Goes all over the world, travels, loves love to travel and see new she things. She's in Morocco right now or just got back from there. Uh, pictures of her riding on camels and looking at goats up in trees and stuff like that. Uh, another thing I remember as a little kid is going around with my my sisters. I don't know if I was that younger brother that got dressed up in girl clothes. I, I don't remember that. If that ever happened, I might have been when I was too little to know. But I do remember one time playing with them and I had a Barbie doll because they had all Barbies and I was going around playing with them. And then my dad teased me about it and I put the Barbie down and would not touch it. And so that's when he got me a G.I. Joe. So that actually worked out good. <clears throat> that's when G.I. Joe, Joe's first uh, started coming. It came out and things like that, but the house is is that is just a memory that I'll always I'll never forget. Just growing up in it and how we fixed it up, it looks so nice. Um, 
I remember a big picture was over the fireplace uh, and he brought in stones from Lake Erie and made the fireplace out of these stones and put it in concrete and uh, and then made a mantle and things and the picture was over top of that. And then in the basement was one of the last things they fixed it up. He was getting ready one time to, uh, he's plastering the walls and we had some friends down uh, the uh, Mackies. Uh, we just called them Mac and, and Donna Mackey. I, they had a son named Mark and Cindy. I used to play with Mark. So they'd come down and they'd play cards and stuff like that. And he saw a patch on the wall. He's like, oh, what's that? It's next to the fireplace down in the basement. And he's like, let's open it up because my dad was just going to plaster over it. So he opened it up. I think it was Mac. It's either Mac or Uncle Chuck. But uh, they opened it up. And here inside was a big, is a bake oven. And what they would do is they'd go, when they were making bread, they would stick the logs inside this oven, get it all hot, and then they'd pull it out and they'd stick the bread in there and that oven had would go into the regular flue. So they made uh, bread down in the in the basement. So we had a pool table down there and he fixed it all up, put wood on this on the roof and stained it and made a little bar area and with a fireplace and things like that. And my sisters who had parties in there and they would stack up empty beer cans and then when someone scratched they'd just smack it so we were upstairs we could hear oh grandpa loved that <laughs> in fact i'll get remind me about that later but everybody that my sister's friends that would would come over uh they would everybody loved my dad just he was always a lot of fun to be around uh well i was going to just talk about this late when later on when i got to it but uh Excuse me. Uh, yeah, Dad would, it was, Peg and Sue would bring friends home, especially Peg from college and things. Or And uh, they would all love him because he was funny. He's a little, he wasn't like Archie Bunker as far as a racist like that, but he was just funny and loved to tease. My dad would love uh, to tease. When he was at the nursing home at the end, he'd sit outside the, uh, he'd sit outside the, the place, the beauty parlor they'd have there, and he'd tell the ladies, he said, you know, you look better when before you went in there. And so if they got mad at him and swore at him, then he'd, he'd, he'd love that, and then he'd tease them. But if they if they didn't, he, he wouldn't tease you unless he knew you liked it. So that's the one thing about him. He loved to, he loved to, we have a saying called roads love, and sometimes it is just when things get a little uh, uh, tense or when we we make poke fun at somebody, so... Uh, he was, he was that way, <clears throat> but again, too, he would, he would never be mean about it. He was, he's always very good right up until the end. The last, uh, the last week that he was in the hospital, he was still, you know, cutting zingers and stuff like that. Oh yeah. He made Kathy cry a lot of times. Uh, so Kathy's my niece. So I have, uh, I guess I should go into that. Uh, Sue, my older sister, she has one daughter named Kathy who's married to Seth and just had a little baby named Kai who's probably about six weeks old now, just the cutest little guy. But yeah, Kathy would go up for summers and uh, stay with mom and dad for the whole summer. Uh, Sue was a single mom and she had friends up there and things like that. And so dad would from time to time make her cry for who knows what. <clears throat> she used to be crying. Then he would tease her and said, you can cry. You can cry louder than that. Oh, she would get mad and just then go off at it. And he'd keep telling her. That. 
it was funny. But one funny thing, though, was Dad used to have a little bit of a beer belly, and we were playing with a little ball, like, you know those little balls that are, that are they're blowing up, but they're real light. Uh, not a beach not a beach ball, but the type that that's real light. Yeah, like a kickball, but it's the plastic. It's real light. You could just pop it up in the air, and, you know, it, it wouldn't hurt you if it hit you in the side of the head. Anyways, Kathy's not even two yet. She's just walking around stuff. And Dad had a big beer belly. <laughs> He's lying on the floor, and somehow the ball went someplace, and Kathy couldn't find it. So she goes up and grabs Grandpa's T-shirt and looks up inside, thinking the ball was under his T-shirt because his gut was so big. And, oh, we just all laughed so hard. He got, got a little embarrassed at that. So Kathy got him back at that point. <laughs> that was one of the times she got him back. But she loved to go up and hang out with Grandma and and Grandpa Rhodes, stuff like that. Another thing I remember uh, is I remember the first time at the old house, we'd go down the basement, and my mom was like, hey, there's a new soda that they just came out with. Uh, it's downstairs in the refrigerator, and I went down and got, got one and tried. It was Dr. Pepper when it first came out. I remember I can vividly remember going going down there and doing that, uh, drink grabbing that and drinking it. And, Yes, yeah, I'm still at the old house. And so I remember also sitting on the steps in the old house down in the basement and uh watching the, the moonlight. We had a TV, I guess for some reason down in the down in the basement and watching them them land on the moon. I remember sitting. I remember where I was at when they showed those pictures. And then upstairs on the it was uh a two-story and I was I'd sneak down on the stairs and watch Monday night football. Because uh, I could watch it the first hour, and then I had to go to bed. But then I would sneak down out of it because I could see the TV and the couch was below, so Dad couldn't see me. So I'd sneak down and watch some of the game from the stairs if it was a good game. Well, no, this was going upstairs at the old house. You, you never saw the old house. Yeah, you saw it from the street. So uh, it had a big bay window when you looked in. Well, right inside the bay window were the stairs that went up. So I'd sit there and watch the first Monday night game was between the Cleveland Browns and the New York Jets, and I think the Browns won. I remember watching that with my dad uh, when they first came out with Monday Night Football. So I'm kind of aging myself right there. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing about my grand, Grandpa Rhodes, uh, Cleo Sr., is that he was born in 1900, and that at that time when he was born – they were still mostly used in horse and buggy, so he went in his lifetime. He died in 1974, I think it was, and uh, or 72 or 74, and he saw them land on the moon. So that's quite a quite a uh, time frame to live, which seen you know seeing that much change go on just at one time, uh, in, in that amount of time. I remember my grandfather only lived two doors down, Grandma and Grandpa Rhodes. Uh, so my grandfather owned the house, and then he ended up selling it to. He rented it for a while, and then he, my dad bought it from him, and then he, that's when he fixed it all up. It used to be a duplex, and then he fixed it. Uh, but I remember my grandfather; he was a little bit of a character too. Uh, he liked a good practical joke and stuff like that. He was a twin, right? Uh, yep, he was a twin, Cleman and uh, Cleo, and and uh, Cleman died in like 1921 or 1919, something like that, and uh, Grandpa. Uh, grandpa ended up taking his name so his name was Cleo Isaiah Rhodes and my grand and his twin brother was Cleman Jackson Rhodes and so when he died 
my grandfather took his middle name just to honor him, so he changed it to Cleo Jackson Rhodes. Uh, and he was pretty clean. He was very smart. Back then, there was only 20 people in the school, but he was at the top of the class. He was going to be a lawyer. Uh, he was very smart, but um, that's just not how it worked out. But I remember Grandpa, we we would go down there, and the kids, Sue Peg and I, Mom and Dad, would go out to go out for a date or something, so they, they'd watch us. And we'd be down there, and we want to watch Hee Haw. And he's like, oh, I want to watch Lawrence Welk. And we're like, no, Hee Haw. So we changed it to Hee Haw. He said, all right. And then he would start, he had some, who knows what he had for dinner, but he'd just start cutting them. And he just let it, he he had a way of, man, he could stink up that house. So he was just letting them rip. And we were just starting to gag because they stunk so bad. And so we were like, oh, we got to get out of here. And he's like, no, stay, we'll stay and watch Hee Haw. And, you know, we were, we were like, I was probably eight and the girls were, you know, 10, 12, whatever. And so... We end up going up to our house, and Grandma came up, and we watch uh, Hee Haw up there. <laughs> Grandpa, so Grandpa got just a big kick out of that. Uh, we need—I don't know—Pam and John when they remember that they—they uh, they remember Grandpa doing that. It was always funny. And then with Grandpa, and it, I always remember too with them. Sometimes we'd stay overnight with them, or uh, I'd just go down there. And Grandpa—he struggled because of asbestos that was in concrete. He was a plaster. And uh, he would go and plaster jobs and just shake the, the mix inside the, the uh, bucket or wherever they were mixing it at. And it ended up all that asbestos was just going in his lungs. So he probably had mesothemioma or whatever it's called. So he had a hard time sleeping and he'd have to hold on to the edge of the bed just to be able to, uh, to breathe and things. But he always liked the night air for some reason. And he loved to go on rides at night. And so... We'd just get in the car and we'd, he'd drive on little back roads and stuff like that. And then he'd stop into this little diner and we'd get an ice cream cone or something like that. But I remember he used to love to just drive at night with grandma. And so we'd go with him every once in a while, which was, which is always fun, you know, to like to do when you're a little kid. Um, and uh, I remember his house, he built that house. Let's see, he built it, I think in 29, right before the crash. And he only owed $800 on it. And when he came out of the crash, like in 32 or 33, this is where my dad would remember all this stuff. He could remember things. His memory was so good. But uh, he ended up owing, I think, 2800 or 2200 or whatever. So he didn't lose a house in, in the crash of 29. Uh, but he built it uh, himself. And then uh, I remember... Uh, his house just you know being inside of it and things you have memories of the and he would plaster like what looks like crown molding now he would do out of plaster and so he'd do it all the way around and meet in the center in a big a big round circle in the center it was all out of plaster it's just gorgeous and and that's what he did and my dad did that for a while and then he just it was too hard on him so he became a carpenter and he built he built really high-end homes and stuff like that he built one home i think it was back in the 70s and uh, I'm just guessing but maybe $250,000 home back then so you know that's 50 years ago that might have been a two or three million dollar home today uh, him and his his partner build it so he was very very good at it he, he was really good grandpa was a building and uh and then uh I used to go and uh mow they he bought a mower one time a riding mower and him and dad would get on it and 
he ended up uh they it, it just was too small and so it bogged down because of their weight but you know i was just a little puny kid so i I got on it and was able to mow it. So I remember at an early age, probably like 12, 11 or 12, I got to mow his yard every every week. He was a riding lawnmower, so that was always fun. And he'd always give me some money for doing that. Uh, Weren't those yards pretty small, though? Ah, they were small, but as a kid, it always looked big. You know how it is. You think something was huge, and then you see it when you're older. I mean, it was probably the size of our yard here. So, But... Uh, but it was fun driving. That's kind of how I learned how to drive is doing that, uh, you know, uh, at his house. And I remember as a kid, I used to play a lot of baseball. Uh, and uh, I think I did uh, T-ball. And then I went into Little League. And I remember being very upset at my mom because my birthday is on July 31st at 7 o'clock at night. I was born in the cutoff for Little League was August 1st. So it ended up that they made me move up into Pony League instead of playing my third year of Little League. So I was the smallest kid in Pony League because I, I was real, took me a long time to grow. I, I, I didn't start growing. Even in the high school, I grew six inches between my uh, sophomore and junior year. So I was the smallest kid. So I always and uh, would get on my mom for doing that. She's like, well, you're the one that came out. I I couldn't control it. So I always remember that. I wish I could have played my third year of Little League. But anyways, uh, and then probably in 1972, I remember before we, we moved out to our house uh, where you remember uh, Grandma and Grandpa living at out there on Office Center Road. And uh, But before I moved out there, I was, I was probably about, that was I think in 72, 73 something like that so it's about 14 years old so that's when my grandfather died right before we moved out there he he got to see the house but he, we never lived in it he went through it once that dad built a house there with a a-frame with a gamble roof so the ceiling was 18 foot high and it had a spiral staircase with a ledge and had a fireplace hanging from chains you, you guys never saw that how did your grandpa pass he he some type of either you know heart failure just because his lungs filled up with fluid after because of all that asbestos and stuff like that so How old was he? he was about 74 so i think this was in 1974 he's either 72 to 74 73 or 74 but the thing i remembered is i had a paper route on the east side and it was in the afternoon it's called the news herald and i used to deliver that and i remember he was the mayor of so Kanye, there was it was Kanye, and then 73, okay. So was, there was Conneaut, and then there was Lakeville. And he was actually the mayor of Lakeville in 1958 when I was born because there's a, there was an article that said the future mayor weighed seven pounds or something like that. And uh, and then Lakeville got kind of, uh, Conneaut ended up expanding and took it over, and, and it was no longer Lakeville, but it was uh, it was Conneaut. But uh, who became mayor? Yeah, my grandfather was mayor of Lakeville. So he, he did a lot of things like got water in for Lakeville and stuff like that. And uh, so I was the, delivering the paper and on the front page of the News Herald was a picture of my grandfather because he had died. And it said, uh, former mayor of Lakeville, Cleo J. Rhodes a Sr. Uh, passed away or whatever it said. So I remember I had to go and uh, deliver all the pictures, all the papers, and every time I threw it on someone's porch, I saw 
his picture on it. So that that was kind of sad to, you know, see him uh, see him go. And I was like 14, so just getting old enough to really, Understand. yeah, know him a little bit. So he, uh, uh, I got to hang out with him a little bit. And that, that's what grandfathers do sometimes is that uh, they do things with their grandkids because they got more time and they're retired and stuff like that. Uh, so anyways, uh, about that point, we moved out to the new house. Uh, and this is now getting into the 70s. Most of that was in the 60s. And so, um, oh, before we moved out to that house, one thing I forgot is that uh, dad went and he would do things uh, for us. Like I wanted a basketball court in the backyard. And so he went back there and, and I helped him and the neighbor boys. And we got a big one of the big cement mixers that turn around and we mixed and we poured the key and then we poured little sections all the way around it and he went and trawled it and stuff like that he was a very good cement uh mason and then he hung a, a hoop off of the garage and they put a big pole up and he put a light at the top of it and so at night i could go out and play basketball this is back at the old house, back at the old house before i moved out and so i used to go out there and just like phil did i used to shoot constantly all the time then i would go and uh I would uh, shovel the snow off, get it all off, and then go and shoot baskets and stuff. And it would, you know, it'd end up uh, freezing and stuff. And so you're always doing that. It was always great when spring came because then you could play. And and then, and probably so, then I used to walk to school um, because Rao, Rao uh, Junior High was not far away. And so I'd walk to school. And there was one time where my aunt, uncle, and uh, my aunt Don and Uncle Chuck and Pam and John came down from Cleveland, and we were they were all down eating at my grandfather's house, and we got done. So we came up and we were playing pool, and this always freaks Lori at your mom out when I tell it. But I went and we had a basketball, one of the ABA basketballs, the red, white, and blue one, and I'm dribbling it around. And so we were playing pool, and it was my shot. So I went to for some reason, stupid reason went to stick the ball under one of those director chairs rather than just throwing it down the corner I just stuck it and so when I bent down there was a popcorn popper that was sticking out of this big crock and the popcorn potter had a quarter inch metal rod that went for a handle that came up and it was all black and I didn't see it and as I bent down to put that basketball under the chair it went and cut me right in the eye and so it went in about five millimeters deep and about seven, eight millimeters wide. And they and and at the time the, the skin of the eye flapped over the pupil. So when I looked at it, I couldn't see anything. And I freaked out and blood's all over and we run down. So they run me up to the hospital and there was a doctor, his name was Dr. Dong. And uh, he came in, he operated on me for like seven hours. And uh, I had dissolvable stitches on my eye. And uh, when those gave loose about seven, six, seven weeks later, oh, you think you get something in your eye it hurts that hurts so bad but what was amazing was this is back in 1973 or two or you know right before we moved and he told dr Tong, told my mom and dad he said i know you're a hard-working people blue collar he says he ended up his bill for operating seven hours was like four hundred dollars or six hundred dollars and he said and if you can't pay that you let me know and i'll work with you and, and they paid it because they had the money. It was a little tight and stuff like that. Uh, my mom went and worked at 
uh, molded fiberglass. She made the front ends of uh, Corvette 69 Stingrays. They have the, the fiberglass front end of it, and they would pop out of the molds, and she would take and cut it off and trim it all up and stuff like that. She'd always come home and haul her clothes. If she, she ever washed her clothes with years, they always itch because she had all this fiberglass all in it. So, yeah, they wore masks and stuff like that. So, and they're all taped up and things. But, and then she got into GE and then she worked until she retired at GE. In what? As far as parents? Oh, definitely my mom. So I would, I was with my mom and my sister Peg was with my dad. Most of it was my dad was always working two jobs. And so um, he never really like make made it to my baseball games at all and so my mom would drive me and I remember driving she had a stick shift and I was maybe 14 and she'd let me she'd let me shift with the left hand as I sat inside the uh, sat inside the passenger seat so uh, I remember one time I was just giving my mom you know I was just being a kid you know irritating kid and my mom who's one of nine she said you know something she said, my mom told me, Jane, I hope you have a kid that's just like you. And she said, you know something? You're it. And so I used to just, you know, not, nothing bad or anything like that, but just stuff. We're asking questions and talking constantly and stuff like that. Are you her favorite? Um, well, I don't know. Just being a boy then having two two girls, it, it's, it's, you know, it's a different dynamic. Um, so, uh I don't know if you said I was. Who was Aunt Susie's favorite? Uh, that's hard to say. Susie, now she has a, she has a, Sue has so much stuff. She got in so much trouble all the time. I remember they'd sit there and say, who broke that? And Sue says, I didn't break it. And Peg said, I didn't break it. And I knew I didn't break it. But I'm like, well, if those two didn't break it, I must have broke it. But I didn't break it. And uh, they used to lie all the time. Peg and Sue would fight. They drew Put a line down the room, and if a piece of clothing went over on top of it, they like polar opposites. Oh, Peg and Sue are so opposite in every way, uh, other than the fact that uh, you know family is important and getting together and stuff like that. But yeah, you can't you can't get more in the opposite than yeah, than Sue and Peg. No, no, I mean they have different friends and stuff like that as well. But uh, that's one of the things my folks learned from their folks as well. And, and hopefully we've conveyed to you boys is that family is just really important in getting together. And uh, fortunately, we have Grammy and Papa that you guys have always been able to get together with and, and talk to and stuff like that. And so uh, that's always a good thing, being able to be close to at least to, to uh, you know, to, to them because they were here in town. Well, they were in Richmond at first. Yeah, yeah. So like I said, my Aunt Bess would absolutely love this uh, from the standpoint of getting together and knowing that you're doing all of it, which is good too, Tyler, in that uh, uh, I don't know, not so much my dad, maybe more my grandfather, but thinking of things like this, you're a lot like me in that way where you see something, you're like, this would be really good to do. And so you've taken this up to do it. And that's stuff like things like I would do too, not necessarily this, but having seeing something, an idea, and being able to see it through and see it in your head all done and how you want to do it and stuff like that. 
So Papa's gonna understand it, so he listened to mom's recording. Right, right. So you you you're like me a lot. Right, you're like me. You know, you're good with your hands too, but you can also see and, and visualize something and and, and run. So, uh, oh, some stuff before I before I went, we moved out to the house. I had two neighbors, uh, Ronnie Cole and Ron Cole and Brad Gee. They lived right next to us in the in the old neighborhood, and we used to we used to go and do stuff and had a lot of fun. So this was the early '70s, probably right at '70 '71. Okay. Oh. <coughs> Okay, uh, I was talking about Brad and Ronnie. We used to play football in their front yard, play kill the man with a ball, and we'd run around at night under the street lights and just have a lot of fun. And they had forts, and we used you know, build forts up in trees and do stuff. And we used to go in the wintertime. Uh, the road that came down, Furnace Road, where our house lived on, went down, and then there was a little dip, a little bit of a hill came down. There were some railroad tracks, and it went back up on the other side into the cemetery. And so we used to get up on top of the hill over the side and we'd throw snowballs at cars. So when cars would come down, we'd see them just come down. The, we knew when they hit that spot right there, right before the tracks, and we'd just throw it as far as we could, the snowball. And because we knew they were coming up, try to lead the snowball into the car. And so we used to throw them and every once in a while we'd hit one, bam, you know, and then they'd stop. And so we'd end up taking off. Sometimes they got out of their car, but we were so far away up on top of the hill and there was a river, a little bit of a creek that went down there. So there's no way they could catch up to us and stuff like that. So we used to have fun doing that and throwing snowballs at semis, the back end of them, not the front, but see if we could hit the side of the, the, uh, with a snowball of a semi, you know, driving and timing it and stuff like that. So we used to do that. So we had lots of fun with that as far as with kids, you know, and we were never, we had a tetherball outside and played uh, tetherball all the time and, and then played basketball and throw the football around and stuff. So we were never inside. There was no video games naturally. But in the summertime, we didn't come in. and We'd come in and eat and then go back out. And then you'd get called in after dark and have to go and take a, a bath and stuff like that. So we're constantly running around the neighborhood. Did you spend much time with your sisters? No, no, I didn't spend any time with my sisters at all. Uh, maybe watching TV, like, you know, then you get into wintertime and you go outside and play for a little bit and it's cold. So uh, sometimes my cousin would come over or maybe Brad and Ronnie come and we'd shoot pool or something like that. But then we'd I'd watch TV with them, you know, and stuff like that. But Sue is like almost six years older than me. So by the time she was in high school, I was in sixth grade. And then when I got in seventh grade, she graduated and then Peg was three grades ahead of me. So when I got in sixth grade, she went to high school. And then when I got to high school, she was gone. So, no, nah, I didn't. We used to fight a little bit, but I would never, uh, I would never. I was probably, they would probably tell you I was kind of a rotten kid, uh, to sister and stuff like that. Uh, Peg. And Sue said they used to call you the turd. The turd. Well, no, she, she didn't. It was my Uncle Richard. He's the one that named that Benel. He used to think that was funny. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't too into that. But uh, those are the types of things. Don't let no people know it bothers or you won't get rid of it. Uh, so anyways, uh, and then I remember going up to my, uh, uh, the Achilles house uh, where John and Pam and uh, Aunt Don, Uncle Chuck lived. And we'd go up there and do cookouts and different things like that. Go up for... Uh, New Year's Day, uh, 
maybe Thanksgiving once in a while. And he used to always, Uncle Chuck used to, um, my Uncle Chuck, this is back in the 70s, was the senior marketing manager ma- manager for IBM. And he had an incredibly uh, good job, just really high up there. He made, he made some, he was kind of like where you have Mad Men. He was kind of that guy, Mad Men. That was the type he was. He, Aunt Donna's, yeah. And uh, he'd come home and have a couple highballs every night after supper and stuff like that. Yep, Pam and did. Pam worked for IBM, so did her husband, uh, Paul. And then it's also Aunt Donna did as well. Uh, Once Chuck died, she went in, she worked, uh, she was like a receptionist or something like that. So, yeah, they all did. Uh, I remember going up there and uh, went to one of John's cross country uh, races once once I was a little bit older. Were you close with John? Yeah, John and I were real close, but he was four years younger than me. So we'd do stuff and things, but, you know, someone's four years younger, you can only do so much. But he was a, he was a character, too. We So my dad got this big box of chocolates that uh, for Christmas, like the three-layer in the size of a chess, you know, chessboard if you closed it, a box that big. And John went in one time and ate, like, you know, a third of it or whatever. And then he would go... He went one time, he went trick-or-treating like a week before trick-or-treating. He went to the doors. He was still kind of a little. So the people gave him gave him candy because they already had their Halloween candy. So then he came home, and his mom found out, Aunt Donna, and she's like, what would you do? And he, he told her, and so she, she made him take it all back. <laughs> but he was funny. One time he just ate a big spoonful of mustard because he wanted to try it to see what it was like. I think he just wanted to make us laugh. So John's funny. He's a, he's, he's a, oh yeah. And that's what he does. You know how he's into history and he works for the museum and stuff like that. Uh, He loved, but, and Pam did too. They love grandpa Rhodes just because he's kind of character. Their other, their other grandparents were Scottish, I believe. And so they're kind of a little more proper, but grandpa Rhodes and grandma and grandpa Rhodes, they used to fight, call each other the little Hitler and, Mama Hitler, and, and they'd get mad at each other. I just always remember that. It was crazy. And uh, again, Rhodes Lovin'. I guess that's where it started, Rhodes Lovin'. So anyways, so I was in junior high. Before we moved out to the farm, I'm not even out there yet. I went to junior high where I would walk down there, and uh, I made played on the basketball team, uh, 7th, 8th, and ninth grade. And... Uh, Oh, I had a dog. I remember her name was Maggie. She was an Irish setter. I want—I just wanted to get a mutt dog that would sit next to me on the porch, and I could take, would go walk next to me and things like that. Because I saw somebody had a dog. So my mom and dad—they uh, watching Disney, and there was a show Big Red came on, which was an Irish setter, and so they had to go and have an Irish setter. So we went and got this stupid dog, and on the way back, they had the paper that had their address on it. it was in the front seat. Because back then it was a big Mercury. So I had a big bench for the front seat. So P- Sue Peg and I were in the back. And then mom and dad were in the front with a dog. And the, the dog was there. And they had no idea. And the dog peed all over the... Because it saw the paper there. So it peed on the paper. And my dad's pants got all wet. And he was all mad. But uh, so it was the stupidest, most hyper dog. I just I, I did not care for the... Definitely wasn't a hazel dog. That's for sure. Uh but uh, and then we moved out to the house, and and the dog came out there too, and so that was fun out there. I used to play hide and seek with it, and I'd climb up on the spiral staircase, and then I'd call for the dog, and she couldn't find me. 
because, but she could smell me, knew, knew what I was around. She used to get really mad too, which was funny. Um, but dad made that house. It, it was sat on about, uh, I think it was 25 acres or 19 acres because they lost some. So it was about 20 acres. And the house was 700 yards off of the road. So uh, it had a long driveway. And I remember in 1977, my senior year, it was a really, really bad snowstorm. And for two months, we had to walk all the way down to the road. And then finally, it broke a little bit. And then uh, a friend of dad's, Jerry Miller, he had an excavation company. And he came with a bulldozer and just plowed all of the, dad got him to come plow all the snow out so we could drive back to the house. But can you imagine every day, twice a day, it was like, trudging through two feet of snow because we parked the cars right down by the street and walked all the way back up because dad kept plowing it and then it just kept filling in filling in i think i don't know how many inches we had it was like a record snowfall amount and remember walking all the way back there but so i ended up working for jerry my junior and senior year uh and so i would drive dump truck every once in a while but i'd go and help him and so I would run a transit and we would do, he would do basements where he'd be digging them out. So I'd run the transit and run it to make sure that it uh, was the right depth. And so I'd tell him up or down a little bit. And so uh, I had to, uh, it was a hard job. I, I worked really, really hard for him in the summer times. Uh, and so you'd be out in the, in the, in the, you know, heat all day long and stuff like that working. But, uh, and I remember one time I backed into a, uh, I was backing it up, delivering some gravel in a truck. And it was a big Mack truck, diesel. And so the road had a curb on it. So where the driveway was, naturally there was no curb because the curb kind of came down so you could pull in, right? So I missed the house because uh, as I was driving, I didn't see it. So I went by it. So I started to back up. And as I'm back and I didn't use my mirrors because I didn't know. I was a dumb kid. I didn't know how to do it. And as I back up, this lady, and she's real old, she had this mailbox and these big chains that her husband welded together. Because, you know, it's a big chain. And so to use as a post, he welded all the links together so it would be sturdy, right? So I back up and the tires didn't hit the curb because it hit the driveway. So it didn't hit the driveway. It just drove up on that part that you would drive up on as I'm back. So I didn't know I was over the curb and I run in and flatten her mailbox and she's on the front porch and she's like, what are you doing? And so I, I bent it over and then I destroyed the mailbox. So that night I had to come back, I had to dig it up. So the, if you could imagine the chain came down and then it had a sharp, almost 90, not quite 90 degrees, maybe 45 where it bent. And so I had to come back. I had to dig it all up and dig at an angle so that the post, the bottom could go in because it can't go straight down. It has to go in at an angle. Fortunately, he didn't have it concrete very well. And then I had to go buy her a new mailbox and install the whole thing and put it back up for her. So that was one of those things I, I uh, learned the hard way as far as paying for the mistakes I made. Uh, but... Uh, I remember one time Peg had this Swin bicycle, 12-speed or 10-speed or something, real nice. Those were expensive. Those were really expensive back there. And she she's off to college now, so she was gone. Yeah, they're still expensive. So the one she had was really nice. And so somehow I was I grabbed the truck or the car, 
and I was driving it up from the barn. And for some reason, I'm driving up, I'm looking, and all of a sudden, I realize I'm going right for the house. And so then I turn it real quick, and I ran over her bike. <laughs> and it was sitting right next to the house where she left it. So I didn't hit the house, which is good. But I ran over it, so I took her bike down, and I put it in the up up in this old barn we had down at the, at the front of the house where the we had a pony that was there. So I stuck it up there, and no one ever found out. And so... <laughs> Because she had long since left and it was starting to rust anyways. But I was so so worried I'd get caught. And uh, that was that was one of the things. Uh, and also, uh, we used to have pool parties out there. So my so dad built a pool. When he built a house, he also built a pool and installed it himself. So Grandpa Rhodes, he actually built, he had a guy do the excavation work to dig it out naturally. But I don't think it was Miller. It was somebody else he knew at the time. He didn't know Miller yet. And he dug it out. And so Dad went in and did the sand work and stuff. Uh, and back then, he just used sand instead of concrete and put the liner in. So it was a liner pool. Uh, so he went and did all that. And I remember talking to him one time because at the back of the house, there was a deck. I don't know if you remember that where you guys used to sleep. That was used to be all open. And I remember looking and saying, Dad, you know something? If you put the deep end down on this side where the shallow end is, we could have jumped off here into the deep end. And he's like, that's exactly why I didn't put the deep end on this side. Because he knew that I would do that. So he didn't want anyone getting hurt doing that. But so he 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 ended up making that. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, Don and Chuck would come. And then my other cousins on my mom's side would come. And we'd have a ring reunion there a couple times where we all get together and swim and my uncle Lorne was deathly afraid of swimming and uh, his hair would, he had to comb over. And I remember Max Thompson and then his son, Milt. And they, those guys were big guys. They, you know, I was a skinny little kid, but they were very muscular, especially Max. He was big. And, uh, and, and so I can't remember who else it was, but they went and grabbed Lorne. I know one of them kicked him lauren kicked him with his cowboy boots or his boots on but they still they weren't going to stop they grabbed him and they threw him in the shallow and then all his hair kind of hung down to the side but he was deathly afraid of swimming he because he couldn't swim and that's why he didn't want to go in but they they didn't and he was a big guy my uncle lauren i mean he's an adult man probably 100 and you know 80 pounds 190 pounds he was solid he's a farmer and uh um uh, they threw they still threw him in it was funny Max Max was very strong, like his dad. His dad was a big guy. So we'd have uh, lots of pool party, lots of fun, things like that. And then in the winter, we'd, you know, I always remember go down in the basement with my dad, and we'd shoot pool. You know, there'd be a fire and stuff and music playing, Christmas music and stuff like that. And my dad stayed. I We played ping pong, and I could always beat him pretty easy at ping pong. But at pool, he stayed good right up. Now, he was in his, you know, 50s or so like that. And uh, he... Uh, he still, we would pretty, pretty even as far as would, would win and stuff like that. But then we'd go outside in the summertime, play horseshoes. And he'd beat me every single time in horseshoes. He was really good at that. Uh, so he, he would always beat me in, in horseshoes. But we used to always do that type of stuff in the wintertime, do that. And then just watch TV and, and, you know, occasionally go out. But he wasn't much of an outside guy walking through the woods or anything like that. He was always building stuff too. He's always working a lot of times, two jobs and different things. And like I said before, he would never come to my to my games or anything. And then I finally found out that 
my my junior year in high school, I was on the basketball team, the JV team, and he finally came. And then my mom told told me that he was just a nervous wreck. And the reason he didn't come from my games is because he was so nervous to watch him. He just couldn't watch him. He would get so nervous because I was playing. And he just found it easier not not to go. And, and two, he was working a lot. So um, that's something that uh, uh, eventually he, he did come and see. And I was kind of, I wasn't so much that way watching you guys. I just found it's easier to, to coach when, and I'll get into that later. But uh, uh, my senior year, it was kind of interesting. My senior year, I was on the basketball team and no one ever got cut. They would always play seniors. But there was a new coach that came in my junior year and uh, he had problems with the seniors that year because a year before that there was a coach and the coach was terrible. He did drugs with the kids. He was smoking pot with them and I knew one of the guys and he's one of the guys who told me he was doing LSD in in the game in in basketball game before the game they did they were doing LSD and so it was just in a shambles and the coach got fired. He was he was an idiot too. This? this was Connie High School where I graduated from. Yep, Connie High School. We're the Spartans. Uh, That's where we were too. Very gold, uh, gold, blue, and white. That were our colors. And and so he, I played right up. We did practices two a days and stuff like that. And right before the season started, he called me in and said, "I'm cutting you." I'm like, really? Because Brad, the guy that I told you, my neighbor, who was two years younger than me, both Ronnie and Brad were two years younger than me, he was very good because he used to play against me. We'd go up to the store when we were younger, and Brad was a tall kid. He ended up being 6'3". Uh, so he's my height, but he wasn't. He was two years behind me. So he was never as good as me. And so he had always try and try and try. And he had a good shot. He, was, he ended up being a good kid. He ended up getting a scholarship, I think, someplace at a low-level school, but he ended up being a, uh, a sophomore because the high school only did sophomore, juniors, and seniors. So there were two sophomores end up starting on the varsity. So the guy just realized I wasn't going to get a lot of playing time. So he ended up uh, uh, cutting me. And so I remember later on telling me, I was like, all right, you know, I just didn't know why. I just kind of asked him and I, I can't even remember what I said. So then my other buddies that didn't play on the team, they got me to play with uh, D Malay on the D Malay basketball team, which is part of the Masonic organization. And and I kind of, I only joined a name just to sign up just to play basketball, but we ended up going undefeated and won all our games. And because uh, I played with those guys in summertime and stuff like that, you know, uh, down at the playgrounds we used to play and so I knew all the kids and they were my buddies and stuff like that and so uh so that was a lot of fun I actually was glad that I I didn't play and sit on the bench and not get any time so I was kind of glad that it worked out well that uh that I did uh end up uh getting cut uh but in the summer times I used to hang out with a friend his name's Dave Bergman he lived not too far away when I was out by the new house and so Ronnie and Brad, at that point, I moved away, and they were two years younger than me, and I, I didn't hang out with them anymore. And then Jimmy Joe Puffer, and uh, you might remember the name Puffer, uh, yes. Jerry Puffer, that's his dad. He used to hang out. 
him and my dad used to play ball together. And so I played with Jimmy Joe baseball and then basketball. So we'd hang out and I'd go out to his house and stuff. And I remember being in his basement when the first Rocket Man, Elton John, came out and hearing the Rocket Man on it. And the song way back, it was this was in the 70s. Uh, so we used to go over to Dave's and hang out, play pool. He got a pool table too. Uh, so we'd go there and do stuff. And, and by then we started to, you know, start getting our license and stuff like that. And I remember going, I had my mom's Pinto and at this, we used to go down in the flats and we'd rat race. Basically it means we'd chase each other in cars. And this was down in by the Harbor area. So Conneaut where I lived was out South, but there was a Harbor Conneaut. I had the, the second largest port on the, on all of the great lakes, all the iron ore that would go for the steel mills down in Pittsburgh would come into Conneaut down through the St. Lawrence Seaway. Well, the, there's the steel mills in Pittsburgh are gone. They, they've all uh, just because of the pollution and stuff like that. But also, so those docks and Grandpa Rhodes, the last 15 years of his life, he ended up working down there as a carpenter down at the docks. And uh, all the iron ore would come down and go down to Pittsburgh and stuff like that. So, uh, it was a pretty big, you know, really big port. Port and Grandpa Rhodes worked down there the last, um, like I said, last part. And he ended up getting a um, pension from them, believe it or not. So down by there, there were all these little smaller homes, and the, and all the roads were just you know straight lines and like an like a big uh, crossword puzzle, you know, a lot all all perpendicular to each other. They weren't windy or anything, so. And we just little houses and stuff like that. And that was for people that used to work down there and stuff like that in the early 1900s, you know, into the 50s. So we'd go down there after uh, football games and we would go like, all right, you're it. And we'd take off and then we'd try to find each other and chase them and stuff like that. And one time I was down there, my friend Jimmy Joe was driving. And so we pass each other and we were, and the one guy turned and I told him, okay, turn. I, and so he went and he started the turn. I'm like, hit it. And so he hit it and he went right into the field and got the car stuck and everything. And uh, and we had to have our buddies finally came by when they found us and took us home. So the next day he came back with his dad and I said, oh, did your dad get really mad? And he's like, no. He goes, no, why? And I said, oh, man, if that would have been me, my dad would have been so mad. I would have gotten such trouble. But his Jimmy Joe's dad was just really laid back. That type of stuff didn't bother him at all. So my dad sophomore year no my junior year early in my junior year uh this girl came up to me her name was Lori anthony and she asked me to what was called and i was thinking of asking her to the prom but i just didn't have a, the guts but she asked me to just call it a twerp dance which is girls ask boys to go to a dance, dance. yeah we call it the, they call it the twerp dance and uh so she asked me if I would go to that. And I said, yes, I will, if you'll go to the prom with me. And she said, okay. And it was kind of funny is because right then her girlfriend, this was in, in school in the hallways, her girlfriend looked at her and she made, and she ended up telling her that I was a half inch taller than her. So this was my, my start of my junior year. So at that point, I ended up growing six inches. So 
in our senior years when we graduated high school, I was I was at that point five inches taller than her, five or six inches taller than her. Like I was five seven or five six and a half, and I went to five eleven. Uh, so her and I dated through all through high school and for the two years. And uh, we ended up having a, a bad snowstorm that year I told you in 1977. So one of the dance, they were going to have this dance. It was called the Valentine King and Queen. It got canceled. So then they had another dan- uh, dance that they had where you, you have a court uh, and they, they make a king and queen. And that was called the snow, snow which ironically, the uh, snow dance or something like that. So they decided to have both of them together. So then they had two courts. So Lori and I are on one of them. Her name was Lori Anthony. Yeah, spelled the same as your mom, which is kind of fun. Yeah, it was. And she ended up marrying a guy from college. She went away to college. And we just went our ways after we graduated. And so she ended up, uh, uh, her and I, because of my friend's Brad and Ronnie, who were in 10th grade, they got to vote on it. So the whole high school would vote on it. Everybody got to vote on who would be king and queen. So they ended up getting all the sophomores to vote for Lori and I. And I don't know how many juniors or seniors voted, but we ended up winning. We were the Valentine king and queen. Uh, so we had a court and stuff like that. And that's the first time I had to get a suit. And... Uh, uh, so I wore a suit, which is what's kind of funny and had hair, long hair, then down, not quite onto my shoulders, but well over my ears and stuff like that. So, uh, so yeah, so we, we dated, she was a lot of fun. She was, uh, she wasn't a cheerleader. She was in the band as one of the colored things where you, you, you know, she didn't do a baton, but they'd go out and they'd have flags and stuff like that in, in March. Yeah, there was a name for it. I can't remember what it was. Yeah. Right. Uh, so it ended up that uh, I ended up uh, going away at that point. We graduated high school and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Uh, Mom and dad didn't have money to send me to college. And, and I was just really a late bloomer because I, I bloomed late both physically and, and I wasn't that smart. You know, I wasn't uh, I wasn't smart enough to. Uh, <laughs> to uh yes honey just make coffee go ahead and uh uh i didn't know what i want to do with my life it's just like and my dad was thinking to want me to come work for him and my mom didn't want me to be stay in Conneaut and and become a carpenter with my dad she said no i'm not you know she didn't want me doing that so there came a guy that came to to our high school and he was signing people up. It was called Institute of Computer Management. It was a course where you went and learned about computers and programming and stuff like that. Because back then, personal computers weren't even out. So they signed me up and I ended up going to that school. It was a one-year school. You could go to the second year, but a lot of people only went one year. And uh, so I went and moved down in late July. In fact, it was right when Elvis died. I'll never forget. I was up there and I lived in this it was a 23-story high-rise, and I was on the 21st floor overlooking a tennis court. And there were two towers side-by-side side with a tennis court. This is in downtown Cleveland, yep. And so I remember moving in there, and right before classes started, I moved in like a week before or something like that. Elvis had died. I can't remember. Do you, know, you don't know the date? Yeah, it was in 77, but I don't know what the date of it was. But, but uh, well, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. 
So, so I was in uh, this computer school, and I really didn't. August. Yeah, it was in August, and uh, so I, I went there. And actually, I went there. Yeah, it was in August, not July, and so a couple a week August or two before. 16th. Before, yeah. So it probably started uh, towards the end of August, but uh, so I remember uh, being there when 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 he died. And so I had two roommates. Dave Bergman was one of my roommates. He went to the same school. And uh, he worked, ended up working down, got a part-time job in the grocery store. I got a part-time job in this little pizzeria place. So Dave ended up staying. He ended up never using anything from his school. He just became, you know, he's really hard worker and he stayed in the grocery business for the you know rest of his career. I'm not sure where he went after that. Uh, you know, like where he's at now. I've never really kept in touch with him. But anyways, so uh, we just lived there. And, and at that point, I, I did okay at school, but I really didn't understand it a lot. But most of what we did end up doing was partying. All these guys get together and we, you know. And at that point, right before I went up, I ended up uh, getting high for the first time with my cousin, John Bunnell. And uh, uh, he's the first one. John Bunnell. Nope, nope. This is John Bunnell. So this is my Aunt Mary's son. She had three boys and two girls, and all three boys died in tragic accidents. And uh, she was my favorite aunt growing up because she helped helped me with chemistry. Uh, and uh, yeah, when in high school, like uh, tutoring me and, and things. She was a school teacher, not in my high school, but in one edge. She was at Edgewood, which is up closer to Ashtabula. And uh, she was very, very good. Uh, everybody liked her. And so, anyways, uh, he, so he, he's the first one to take me out drinking. And then he was the first one to take me out. And, uh, and then I got high with, and then I used to smoke and get high with my Aunt Sue. Uh, so, anyways, uh, that's all I kind of did. And then all of a sudden, uh, there was a guy there. His name was, uh, he was a radio um disc jockeying downtown Cleveland and he lived in the same apartments and he was on a, a top 40 rock and roll station in the city of Cleveland and he had the number one ratings in the city for the morning drive time that's how good he was he used to do these characters and stuff and uh, so I became friends with him and mostly we'd just get high together like a group of us we'd get high and then once in a while I'd stop in and see him and get high as well and, and that's who your brother Phil is named after. Uh, is His name is Phil Reeser, Phil Gardner Reeser, but he went by Phil Gardner. So he used to do these skits and he'd record himself and then he'd talk back to his recording and he'd write these bits that were really funny and different things. And uh, so one time I called him and said, hey, you want to go out and uh, you want to get high, you know, party? And he's like, nah, I, I quit doing that. I said, you quit doing it? And he's like, uh, yeah, he says, uh, uh, I've become a born-again Christian. And at that point, I'm like, oh, I didn't know what that really meant in things. But no, no, we never went to church. Grandma would go to this Methodist church, Grandma Rhodes. I'd take her once in a while just to... My grandma or your grandma? My grandma, your great-grandma. And uh, Hazel, yep. And mom grew up in the Baptist church, but they never really went to church. Or I never really knew much of anything about church growing up. Uh, I went to this one Methodist church for a little bit, the one grandma went to. Uh, but 
early on, but really had no idea about anything that has to do any type of spiritual things. So I was talking with Phil and he said, no, I don't do that anymore. And I'm like, oh, and so he kind of shared with me a little bit what he's into. And I said, well, I said, uh, and then I call him back another time and he says, I quit my job. I said, you quit your job. And he said, yeah, he said, it's just, uh, he said, you know, rock and roll is basically sex, drugs, and kind of violence. That's what it promotes. And for him at the time, it was just something he realized that he couldn't do. And so I said, well, what are you going to do? And he says, I don't know. <laughs> and uh, he just quit. So he walks into his office and he tells the manager that he quit. And he had the number one ratings in the whole city for rock and roll. And there's tons of stations. He was beating out MMS, which is the number one rock and roll station. That's what the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is, the number the number one station that has that is WMMS. They're the ones that kind of tied into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So he was working for another one, Top 40, and he was beating out the morning show that they had on there. His ratings were higher. So he told me, quit. So he basically went in and talked to the manager and the owner of the station and, and basically told them uh, why he had to quit and stuff like that. So then he went to this one camp called Camps Farthest Out, and he told them he he didn't know what he was going to do because he went took all his money and he, and he sold everything. He quit and he's like, uh, he was going to sell all his money. His dad was a Lutheran pastor, so he kind of grew up in the church. But he's going to give his money that he had to this 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 uh, uh, mission down in South America, I think it was. So he goes to this camp and this one lady said, have you ever thought about going back to school for communications? And he, he was a history teacher. He got poor grades, but he made it through because he was partying and stuff like that. And uh, so he said, yeah, you should think about Wheaton, uh, Wheaton Bible College. And so he's so I call him up another time and he tells me that uh, he's going to school. I said, you are for, for communications. And he said, he goes, yeah, he said. So he comes back from this camp. And what happened was it was two weeks before school started. And at that time, Wheaton Bible College was like the top 10 scholastical school in the country, college in the country. And he calls him up and he basically he tells him he's looking to get communications. And the person's like, well, there's three people you need to talk to today. They're not in. They'll be in next week because they come in the week before school starts. So you need to talk to them. So it's kind of late, you know, to get in. Class starts in two weeks. And and, uh, and so you want to call up and talk to these three people. And they're like, oh, wait a second. Uh, so-and-so just walked in. Let me give them to you. So one of the three people happened to walk in right then. So he talks with them and they're, he's telling them his, kind of his testimony, what happened. And he wants to go to school and he wasn't a very good, he's only a C, had a C average and wasn't that good at school. And they're like, wow, wow, I can't believe. And he kind of shared his testimony, how he quit the station and stuff. And she's like, wow, well, the other two people you need to talk to today uh, uh, aren't in. And I'm surprised I came in, but call back next week and you want to talk to so-and-so and so-and-so. And then she's like, wait a second, so-and-so just came in. So he said, wait a second, puts him on hold. That person gets on the phone. He starts telling him again, I want to come. I want to go for communications. I wasn't a very good student. Starts sharing his testimony again of what happens. And she's like, wow, I can't believe her. He, I can't remember a, a couple guys or a guy and a couple gals, whoever it was, and saying, yeah, I can't believe. He said, well, the, the, next, the third person you got to talk to, call up next week and ask them. Uh, and, and I just really sense that you're supposed to come to this school. 
And, and so it had it all set and everything. And just then she's like, wait a second, so-and-so just came in. So he talked to that third person and on one phone call, they were going to get them signed up uh, to go to school. They're going to get them a loan to go to school and they're going to have someone to pick them up and take them to the airport. And so at that point, he ended up two weeks later, I drove him to the airport with his luggage and stuff. He had sold all his furniture, sold all his possessions, gave that to the orphanage down in South America. And he was going off to Wheaton Bible College. So he kind of left and went and that, did that thing. And he shared about, but what he shared with me was not, okay, you go to church and you do this. But what he shared with me is, is basically it's just a relationship with, uh, with Jesus Christ. And so at that point, I still was kind of doing, in, uh, doing uh, smoking, getting high and things like that. But every time then I got high, all of a sudden I got a realization that I just remembered uh, it, it's kind of like where I, just this river of life is all I can experience. And I, I kind of realized mom and dad is someday gonna, are going to die. And like, what happens then? And all of a sudden it was a real realization that I'm not going to live here forever. And, and then I wouldn't be high and I'd go back to, you know, kind of next day or whatever. I'd just write it off that didn't even think about it. So then after that, every, that happened a couple of times. Every time I'd get high, I would start to think about spiritual things, which is kind of odd. So then that was, he, he left for school. So that following June, I ended up, uh, or no, the following, I think it was late May, I realized that I had thought a lot about it. And he told me, he said, if you do this, this is something you do your whole life that you give to it. It's just not something you know, because it changes your life when you believe this and how you believe in stuff. You know, you can't still party and can't you can't do all these, you know, things and stuff like that just because, uh, uh, you know, that's what Christians in the Bible, that's what it talks about. So I just remember going and uh, thinking I need to find new friends because all my friends, I party and stuff like that. And then I remember Phil had taken me. Uh, nope, I was working at this point at this factory. Um, good point. I got a job at a factory called Our Register, and they made red. I went and got that degree, and because of that school, they they were bring this one this one company was bringing on what they called a Sperry Univac computer. So they're putting all their bill of ladings and everything, all their shop details for. Uh, they made registers for heating and cooling, like what's up in up in the uh, that register that's up there that for heating and air conditioning come through. So like you have the face and you have sides and louvers and handles and stuff like that. So they were getting a computer. So I got a job interview and I ended up getting the job. And that's where Roy, Roy Niddle hired me. So when he were, I remember I wore that once. I only had one suit. I wore that suit that I went to the dance with because I only had one of them. And he later on recalled, he said, you were the only one that came to the interview in a suit. And so, uh, so I was working there as an inventory control clerk and uh, kind of a little bit of a burnout and stuff like that. I didn't have a whole lot going for me. I did have the job and stuff. But uh, so I ended up uh, going and it's like I went to this church in downtown Cleveland because I was looking for new friends. And I was looking. I wasn't sure what, what to do. I, I knew I wanted to do this, and, but I wanted to find new friends. So I went in and I was in this church. It was it was called Old Stone Church in downtown Cleveland. Beautiful old church with wood and everything. 
And so I listened to the message and the guy basically just talked about flying and stuff like that. And yeah, that was his love of flying in an airplane and, and things. And uh, so I left and I'm walking over to my car. I was parked in the bank uh, around the side. And I just remember talking to God and I said, God, if, if you are real, I said, I'm going to go through that door over there and you have somebody there that can help me find new friends because I need to, uh, I need to find, f- find people that are part of the church that are young and, and stuff like that. Because all the f- friends I did did drugs and we partied and stuff like that. And I knew I couldn't stay in that lifestyle. So I, uh, I did LSD one time on a camping trip and then realized I'm never doing that again. So it's mostly all. No, 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 no. It's LSD is just a little chemical on a piece of paper. You eat it and you just, I saw some camping, some logs get bigger and smaller kind of. And then that night I just kind of, I just got paralyzed. I couldn't even talk. Uh, it was just a bad, bad situation the whole, whole way through. Uh, so, so I ended up, I walked in the side of that church. Now, Phil had taken me to that church before. I went and visited with him one time. He called me or something, said, hey, you want to go to church with me or whatever? I said, all right. And so I walked in that side door, and here standing there was this girl waiting for her dad. Her dad was associate pastor and her fiancé. They were going to go out to eat with him. And I went up to him. I recognized him. I said, excuse me, I don't know if you remember me. I said, but I'm a friend of Phil Reeser's. And I was just looking someplace you know, of where, where, you know, uh, where other people, other Christians are that I, I can meet. And so he said, oh, well, we got this Bible study out at Baldwin Wallace College. It's going to start in like two or three weeks. And they gave me an address and a phone number and stuff like that. So here, when I walked in that door, I basically said, God, if you're real, have somebody there. And sure enough, he had this young lady and her fiance, and I never met him again. They got married and then he went to school someplace. Uh, so the night before I was going to go to this Bible study, I just sat on the edge of my bed and I had been listening to some Keith Green and second chapter of Axe music and stuff like that. And so then I remember Phil said that, you know, the, the basically the sinner's prayer. And I prayed it and asked God to forgive me of my sins and come and live in my heart. And I look around and I didn't feel anything. I'm like, well, maybe nothing happened. I better pray it again. So I prayed it again. And then just a little voice told me, it says the scripture that says the just shall live by faith. So you just have to believe. So the next day I went to the Bible study. And now this is with all these people, Baldwin Wallace College, which is real high up music and math. And all these guys are brainos. And I'm this burnout inventory control clerk. And uh, I was, uh, it was 1980, June of 1980. So I was uh, not quite 22 years old, 21. And, uh, so I ended up making new friends and went to the next the church, you know, uh, the next day and stuff like that. Met some friends and got baptized in water the next day. And so my life totally kind of really changed. I went back to my job and I said, uh, I, you know, shared with the, the folks there because I'd gone out and I had, uh, you know, we'd go out to bars and stuff like that and goof around and things with, with everybody. And so I got a chance to tell them how things had changed, you know, with my life and stuff like that. So then shortly after that, I went to another church uh, and this was more of what like the churches that that I came down here with. Uh, It was called Brunswick Christian Community. And so I got involved with that church and I was lived in a brother's bunch of there's seven guys. and We all lived in a household together, all went to the same church. And one guy was named Mark Larder. 
he had muscular dystrophy. So we used to take turns either putting him to bed or getting him up. And so I remember taking him and you'd have to pick him up. And, uh, no, no, Pete, he ended up passing away before you guys were born. Uh, but he ended up going back to school and got a degree in accounting, uh, associates in accounting, and then he, and then he passed away. But I'd bring him home and and swim in the pool, and I took him out to Uncle Lawrence to see the cows and stuff like that. So I'd take him a lot of different places. So he ended up being a really really close friend of, of mine. So he's he was he's a really nice guy, and uh, so then I, I I left that household with these guys. And I moved in with the Piper, Scott and Debbie Piper. They were, he, he uh, was a school teacher and she was a registered dietitian like your Aunt Sue. Very smart people. They'd always catch me. I couldn't say anything. And but I didn't know it to be true or not because they were very smart. But they had three little girls, well, two little girls. And I moved in. I went in their basement and I fixed it up and totally renovated their basement. And then I lived down there. And so I lived with them not quite three years. And right after I moved in, she had a little girl. Her name was Carolyn. Was born. So I used to hold hold you know the girls while she was getting supper ready and things like that. And I'd babysit them. And so I got really close with them. And uh, at that point, they were talking about starting a church down Virginia Beach. So I thought, well, you know, I would like. Uh, I really thought about it and prayed about it. like, you know, I'd like to go down to Virginia Beach. At the time, I was selling computers, and they just started selling the Apple Macintosh. So I was Mac certified. And I was uh, I uh, sold computers, and the guy that owned it was one of the guys that taught at that computer school I went to. His name was Bill Ciro. So I got to I knew him. I played base uh, basketball with him uh, in the evenings and stuff, uh, pickup game or not pickup games. And we'd all show up, and so I worked for him. But I thought, well, that'd be a good place to go down to, and I just felt like that's something the Lord was telling me I need to go and be part of this church plant. So I moved down in 1987, August of 87, to help start the church that your mom and I got married at. So that was in August of 87. So the following summer, there were two care groups or life groups. Uh, married at that church? Yep. Were in a different church. Well, no, nope. So the church was at the time, there was a couple names. It started the harbor and then it was called Southside and then it was called Sovereign Grace. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm about to get to that. So uh, we had, there were two care groups. One was where all the singles went. And another one was more of the older people or older or families or older singles. And I knew the guy, uh, his name was uh, Herb Minitry. And so I ended up going to help him. He talked me into coming to his care group rather than the cool one where all the singles were at, like my roommates and stuff. So your mom came and she visited the cool one and she visited ours. And that's where I first met her. And I was driving down the road to go to it. In fact, it's right down Bufane. You know how you come down Bufane and now there's the new light on Lynn Haven right there? Uh, like if you're going on that new back way down Lynn Haven. So uh, Bufane, Bufane, right? So that wasn't there. So Bufane stopped and it was just like dead end right there. You could pull. And... So I'm driving down and I see this really cute girl walking and there was this little boy that looked like he had down syndrome or something he was walking and i see her following him and it might have been the second time i met her the first time but so i recognized her as being in our care in our care group so i pulled my car to the side because you know it's a big road is really too you know it has a medium in it but hardly no cars there's plenty of room to pull over so i pulled over and i ran over because i see i saw her 
walking after this kid. And I said, hey, do you need any help? So somehow we found, together we found uh, his parents or the house. Or I can't remember what happened. So then we walked back to the care group together. And I just remembered that she's very cute. And... Uh, it sounds like someone banged you in the face. <laughs> uh, so I ended up... Uh, going and was part of the group and then that winter she was being evaluated by her school she came down and she went to virginia tech and she got actually her job before she even uh came down here she had a job at uh at uh uh great bridge junior high school right so i went and asked her out to go do something and she said, oh, I can't do it. I'm being evaluated. So I said, uh, oh, okay. Now, I had asked her to do some stuff, and she came because I told her we were doing it with groups and things like that, which we did. But then I was going to ask her out on a date. So I asked her out, and she said, no, I can't do it uh, You know, on Friday. So how about Saturday night? Well, no, I got to study on it like Sunday. And she said, no. And so I said, all right. So then I waited a week. No, she had to study and prepare for Monday. She had these evaluations. So she had to she had to do all this studying. So then it ended up where I waited a week. And so two weeks later, I got up with her at church. I said, hey, would you like to go out? Uh, can you go out this Friday? And she said, no. Oh, and, and her evaluation was a two-part process. And there was a week in between it. So when I went to her again and asked her if she would like to go out, she said, no, I can't. I said, would you like to go out on Friday night? No, I can't. I'm really busy. And I said, Saturday? No, I can't. Sunday? No, I can't. I said, all right. And I just wrote it off saying, that's it. I'm never asking her again. I asked her twice. And both times, you can't make it out one time, not even one time on a weekend. And she might have told me she's being evaluated. But the second time, I'm like, so, which was true. She couldn't. She had all of this work she had to do. And uh, to be fair, well, it does take a little bit longer and stuff like that. And so, uh, so then, uh, so I had a friend, her name was Wendy Ladley and God rest her soul. She just passed away from breast cancer last month. Uh, anyway, she was a single gal that came down from Cleveland and, uh, she, and so my roommate was coming in town. One of the seven guys I told you about, I had roommates, so seven of us. He, uh, Seven guys, a big house and uh, in Cleveland. And so he was coming down to visit. And so Wendy liked him. She said, well, let's go out together on a double date. And I said, all right. And I said, uh, and she's, I said, well, who am I going to ask? She's like, well, ask Lori. I'm like, I'm not asking Lori. She's already blown me off twice. Why would I go back and get rejected a third time? She clearly doesn't want to go out with me. So she's no, come on, come on, because you really want to go out with Neil and on a on a double date. And so she says, uh, come on, come on. She drew she drew that she was sitting there the whole time talking me into it. And she said, please say yes. And so uh, on this little piece of paper, she was doodling. And uh, so I called Lori up. I said, Lori, my roommate's coming in town. I was wondering if you'd be able to go out with me and with Wendy. So she knew Wendy from church and she said yes because she wasn't being evaluated. So uh, nothing ever happened with Wendy or, or, or my roommate. He ended up coming down and then going back. So, but then I started to, to ask her to do, uh, to do other stuff. And uh, 
So your mom had, you remember the shells that used to be up here? Yeah, the red ones with the blue on the side, you know. Yes. Well, she had those in her apartment, and I'd never seen, like, Papa made, those. Papa made those. I never went to anybody's apartment that looked like the way your mom's did because I'm with a bunch, you know, I've always lived with single guys. We didn't even have a picture on the wall. So I walk in, your mom, there's not a spot on the wall that you could fit anything. It was pictures and all this stuff, and it's really... Uh, tastefully done because Grammy helped her but I'm like what is this place it felt like I walked into Ethan Allen or something and uh, so she had that big thing the big bookcase and then she had a real narrow bookcase remember it used to the narrow one that used to be back there and then she had a big so Papa made a desk that went in the corner between the two of them and so it was made out of one by twelves and so it broke like well, however he made it the wood came loose and so she i asked her to do i was trying to get a job at the time because i was down here and i still didn't find the work i wanted and so i asked her if i could use her computer to do my resume on it and i also had alternative motives too i could have went what and, type of computer was it? she had uh i think she had a mac so she actually had a mac with a printer Yep, the one of the original Macintosh. Now she might have had at that time that she might have had the Macintosh SE, which had an internal hard drive. The original ones just had floppy drives, so she had one that probably had a five meg hard drive or something. So, anyways, I went over there and she's like, "Oh, it broke. I didn't break it. Somehow it just broke when she was doing it." And I told her, "I said, well, I can fix that for you if you want." And so she's like. Well, I have to talk to my dad first. And I'm thinking to myself, that's kind of odd. Why would you have to talk to your dad about something that's broken? But she, he made it, so she just wanted to check with him because she was worried that if I did something or whatever. So she calls Papa and says, hey, would you, uh, uh, your thing, the desk part broke. I have a friend from church that will fix it. Do you mind? He's like, no, go ahead. I don't want to come down and fix it. So that's another reason I made it over to her apartment to see her again. So I was finding any other way I could take her to uh, to go out and see something. And so we dated a few more times after that and, you know, several times more. And then I t we went to a, uh, I think the first time we actually did go out after the double date, we went with Rick and Mary Beth Hanks to the circus in Newport News. At the What's that one up there? Is that the scope up there when you drive through off to the right? Coliseum. We went to the Coliseum. Anyways, so we started to date and everything. And that was in like February. And then that following July, I asked her, we we're going out to her uncle's 50th birthday party, Richard, uh, which is, uh, which is, uh, oh yeah, most of them are. But, uh, uh, Nancy, it was Nancy, your dad's, uh, your grandpa's older sister, Nancy. So on the way out, I had Wendy, that same gal. Grandpa's older sister? Yeah, Nancy. It's Nancy Ruth. Uh, what's the other one, honey? Ruth. Uh, Nancy Ruth. Sarah. Sarah. Sarah's the one that sends us money all the time. Oh, you're talking about Papa. These are Papa's. These are Papa's. I thought you meant Grandpa. No, no, Papa. Okay. And so we're going out to, to, uh, to the uh, his 50th birthday party and she was having it at this country club so I had Wendy 
And then another friend, Gary Ozuna, and he was like a chef. He was very good, cooked very well. And they went out to Smithfield to this bell tower and they set up a uh, they set up uh, a real nice supper, crab louis with these fruit baskets he made and stuff like that. And I got really sick that night from eating a tuna fish sandwich I didn't put in the refrigerator that I had to go on at work at this one. Uh, and it got, got hot. So I was sick as a dog. But anyway, so we go there. And they ended up getting late, so they just get it set up, and they're walking away, and Lori sees them like, hey, there's Wendy and Gary. What are they doing here? I'm like, oh, I don't know. Let's just forget about them. <laughs> and then we walk over and hear these balloons and stuff under this old bell tower, and she's like, what's this? Because I told her we're going to go stop and get something to eat. And so I said, oh, I said, uh, let's go check it out. So we walked up to it, and that's where I got the idea for what Ben did. And uh, as far as doing the, uh, with him walking up with, jocelyn with a thing on the beach so anyways we walk up to it and everything's there and i went and had a uh, i made this big uh, picture album and i had her mom send all the uh, uh pictures of her when she was younger and i had mine and in, up into through high school and i remember calling papa i called him to ask him if i could marry her and uh had you met him? oh yeah yeah i had been up and i had met him and stuff like that so i called him he goes well he goes I can't answer for her. You're going to have to ask her, ask her yourself. I said, no, 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 I, I'm going to do that. I just want your permission. He goes, oh, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> but at first he thought that he, I was asking him if I could marry her. And uh, I mean, instead of asking her herself, so, uh, which was kind of funny. So I go and I have, the, like I said, I had this picture album. And so I got it with a whole bunch of pages in it. So that the back half of it, I carved out a little hole and uh, I end up putting the ring box in that. So we went through all of the pictures of us growing up. I said, oh, I want to go through this and show. I made this little thing for us. And then where it gets to, I flip it over and it says, Lori, will you marry me? And that little note that Wendy had written saying, please say yes, back when she wanted to go out with Neil. uh, I had that in there. I said, would you marry me? And then she uh, uh, ended up where... Uh, she said yes. So then we went out and Uncle Richard shows up. I think he was drunk already. Shows up at the Clentory Club and finds out it's a birthday party for him. And he takes off. He goes to a bar and gets plastered, never to come back. Poor Nancy is just totally just like losing it. And so then it became an engagement party. So the whole family was there. So Lori's going around. We're telling the story about the uh, but the bell tower and stuff. She's showing the ring to everybody. So it ended up being a nice, nice. Now that I wasn't planning on that, but uh, that ended up being a nice uh, engagement party. And then we stayed at her aunt's house, had this big house. They they did Lehman's that did peaches and stuff. And she really loved it. This is in Roanoke. Yeah. And so, so it ended up being a really, really fun, uh, fun weekend. And we came back the next day. And so that was in July. And then we got married the following April and we got married. So my, my, one of my friends, uh, Steve Bachmiller, one of my roommates at the time down here, he was working for FedEx and he saw, he was trying to find all these churches that would marry us and everybody wanted to do their own music and had all these stipulations. And we found this Methodist church out there called uh, Strawberry Methodist Church out in Pungo. And so we called them. They're like, well, just shut the door when you leave. That's the only stipulations they had. So we ended up getting married out there. And we were the first first wedding in the church. Uh, 
at the uh, at that time no one had you know because it was still a fairly brand new church then uh and so we had i think it was like seven bridesmaids and i had phil was my uh my best man and then i had a bunch of friends down here uh Uh, no, they were kind of pay, uh, plaid or paisley type dresses. It looked like curtains. A little bit. That was the style back then. You have to remember that was the style. But uh, so Aunt Peg was actually, it, it was the 90s, yes. Uh, but Peg was in the wedding. She stood up and then Wendy was as well. Kathy was the flower. Kathy was the flower. So this is so funny. So Travis Shank the pastor's son, Steve Shank's son was the ring bearer. So right before he is supposed to start, another little boy tells him and said, Hey, you're going to look like a sissy taking that girl down the aisle. And he starts crying and bawling. I'm like, Steve, get your kid together here, would you? And so they're supposed to walk down together. So as soon as they go to take off that, they release him, go ahead and start walking. He runs all the way down and stand right next to me. Kathy hadn't taken three steps. And so then here it is. She's walking and throwing the pedals and everyone, everyone's looking at me. And she was so into it. These big brown eyes. She was the cutest thing ever. And uh, she, no, she had it down in a pigtail. She had it in a pigtail. She was so cute. Had dressed like what the girls were. And so she finally made it down there. And uh, your poor mom, I made her do vows and stuff like that that we said. And uh, uh, she said that in her thing. Yeah, she, she, I saw it in somebody else's. I thought, oh, that would be cool. So I ended up being probably more help planning more for the wedding than probably what I should have. But that was just kind of my nature, kind of like you. You you. Uh. So, anyways, uh, uh, so that was in April seventh of nineteen ninety when we got married. Uh, which is easy to remember because it's 1990. I know how many years it is. And April 7th. And then her birthday is December 7th. So I got it pretty easy. Yep. Yep. So we'll be coming up on uh, 33. And uh, then we had the reception down at the Old Cavalier down there. And we took some of the money and we had our rehearsal dinner at the Zolas's garage. And we took some money and added it with Papa's. And we went to the... Uh, uh, went to the old Cavalier. And so we had this band called the four seasons. It was uh, like three or four guys, uh, black guys that played jazz. They were really, really good. Played live music. What's that? Four seasons. I, no, 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 they weren't the four seasons. What were they? Oh, I can't remember the name of them. Wasn't, yeah, it wasn't the four seasons. Uh, anyways, they're really, really good group uh, and played. So we had a lot of fun out there dancing and stuff like that. So we had a reception right afterwards for all our friends. And then we had a sit down dinner uh, that night at the Cavalier. And he didn't do that down here in the South, but we took part of the money from what we would have paid for the uh, rehearsal dinner. And Debbie Zolas just made it in her garage for the rehearsal dinner. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. Is that when they were living here or they were living someplace else? Uh, what, who? The Zolases. Yeah, it's when they were living right over here, right down the road. Uh, so yeah, so we went, went to the Bahamas. So when that guy, her miniature, I went and built a deck out in his backyard with a big gazebo and part of the deck around an above ground swimming pool. I built that for him. So he gave me a thousand dollars and then he gave me a week of his timeshare. And so we went to the Bahamas for our honeymoon. So that, 
that was a lot of fun. So we went down there. I remember just eating the, we had, we had a meal on the plane and that was better than the, cause I didn't eat the, I was so nervous. I didn't eat much that night. It was, although it was good food, but it was a lot of fun. So we went down there for, for five days. Cause it was from a Sunday to a Saturday, I think. And, uh, just went around beach every day, went out to eat someplace nice every night, came back. And so the day we got married, it spit snow. And the next year on our first anniversary, it was actually 80 degrees, which is funny. So then we ended up where uh, we live in an apartment over there next to the Lowe's in off a of battlefield. And we were looking, I was thinking maybe a town or get a duplex. That's where Ben got that from, it's for me. And we heard about an auction you could go to. And so we went to this auction called for Resolution Trust, Trust Corporation. It's all these junk bonds back in the 80s that ended up failed savings and loans. And so they were auctioning off all these properties. And one was uh, called a twin home. They share a common garage wall. But it's about 1,700 square feet. It's Cape Cod, kind of like Martha's next door. So we went down to Waterside and we bid on that and ended up getting it and got the house. And so I had to go in and... Uh, I had to side the whole thing and fix it all up and stuff like that. So that's where we ended up uh, moving out into the house when right Ben was born and he was at the apartment for about a week or two. And then we moved out to the beach and uh, that was our first house we had up there. So I would take, you know, whatever money we could get, we ended up uh, fixing it up. And I put a door off the back of the house where a window was and built a deck out the back. And uh, so we had a couple of roommates. Steve stayed with us uh, as a single. And then Cindy Mullaney came. Uh, ben doesn't quite remember. He might just barely remember her. Uh, she was a single gal at church from Philadelphia. She's in our church. So um, it ended up that uh, we were, so now Lori had a chance to make the whole house, you know, into a home. And what was nice is we had the master bedrooms down on the on the first floor, and then there was a bedroom next to that, and then upstairs were two bedrooms because it was you know the the Cape Cod, so it's two bedrooms right in the middle upstairs. So I you know put wallpaper in up there and down below. We did a few things uh, on it, but that's where Benjamin was born. And then uh, how did you feel about having your first child? First child, it was interesting only because I was a little bit worried. There's a a scripture that just says, you know, you're not allowed to love uh, your family or this or that or this or that more than God and stuff like that. I remember reading that and I really was worried at first that I might love my kids more than God. So I was under, I was interpreting the scripture wrong because what happened was is that I found out once you guys were born that I actually love God more after seeing uh, you guys born. So when Ben came along, uh, he had some problems because of the whole mucus and stuff like that. So we couldn't le let him cry in bed uh, because he'd just get, he'd cry and snot would get everywhere. So if he woke up, we'd have to go and put him down back to sleep. So he it was a little bit harder for him. But uh, when you came along, uh, I'm like, all right, we're going to let him cry to sleep. Like, you know, I don't, two months or something like that. Because what happens is when you're younger, you know, your first newborns and stuff like that, you're up nursing all the time. So I'd get up, if you'd make a noise, I'd get up and bring you in 
and uh, your mom would nurse you in bed or sometimes she would get up and, and nurse you guys and stuff like that. But uh, I just would always remember I'd go at night and to get you back to sleep, you know, uh, for all you guys. But I would sit there and just look at you and uh, just watch you for maybe, you know, five minutes, but it seemed longer, but you get tired and you want to go back to bed. But I could just sit there and, and watch you guys as just little babies. And uh, I was always just mesmerized uh, just seeing you sit, you know, in the bed and stuff like that and just how you would pull your legs up underneath you and how you would, uh, you were the only one that never used a uh, pacifier or sucked your thumb, which was amazing. Ben used a pacifier and Phil Jackson sucked his thumb, but uh, you never did. But, uh, uh, but I had a rule in the house is that if I was home and I was always holding you guys, your mom, your mom, if we were at church, I was holding the baby. If we were out, I always had the baby. Like your mom never carried, you know, with Ben, he was the first one. So your mom out in public never really held him. I held him all the time. And if I was home, I always changed diapers. Uh, that's one of the things I did was like, she always would have you guys during the daytime and stuff. And by the time I'd come home, she'd want a break. And I was happy to. So I'd end up going and changing all the diapers. I mean, unless she was in the back and she had you or whatever, like she nurses you and changed it. But uh, as, as you guys, you know, started coming along. And then I used to take you guys everywhere. I'd take you to the grocery store. I'd take you to Home Depot. And uh, I'd just bring you guys along. And you guys would tag along. You always loved to go and get uh, ride the lawnmowers out at Home Depot. Just sit on top of them. I don't know if you remember that or not. Uh, yeah, I don't, you know, you don't think necessarily up like up, up, up that way for whatever reason. I didn't think so much about mom and dad. I I just remember the older I got, the smarter they got, you know, when you're younger, you think your parents don't know anything. Then as you get older, they, you start to realize that they were, uh, you know, that they were pretty smart and stuff. I never, I never had, had a problem with my mom and dad from that standpoint, like, Yeah, yeah. Uh, it for me, it, it it wasn't. I was 32 at the time, so I got married. You know, I got married at uh, in 1980. Oh uh, no, 1990. So I was just uh, I was just not quite 30. I was 31. So I was 32 when Benjamin came. So I was ready for a family. To me, it wasn't hard at all. It, it was fun. I just I loved having you guys. I loved. Uh, you know, constantly holding you with you and playing with you and used to get with you and, and Benjamin out at the old house. I'd get up on Saturday mornings and we'd watch this old house and you guys used to drink, drink your juice all the time. And so I'd have my coffee and we'd get up, sit on the couch and I'd hold you and bring it on. And you guys would drink your juice, Ben and you. What's that? I remember this old house. Yeah. So I watch all the episodes and then, uh, and then going down on the, with Grammy and Papa, we'd, we'd go sometime to the, outer banks for thanksgiving and stuff like that uh and just hanging out you know i, I love that to me parenting it, like that wasn't hard at all it was it was fun i i i just really and and again having a family i i think you know i always love to sit around drink coffee and talk to mom and dad and stuff like that so just having a family i i you know i enjoy that a lot 
from that st standpoint. Um, so I used to, uh, uh, I don't know if you remember this. I used to take you, you and Ben down to the beach when we lived out there. And we'd run on the beach. It would be hot. And we'd run in the ocean. Take us in the old truck. In the old truck, yeah. And then I would, I would kick up the water. And we'd run and laugh because you guys are a little bit too little to really go out and swim there. So we'd just run and, sp and splash each other and run on the beach, especially when it was hot in the summertime. So we'd do that, you know, probably once, once twice a week. Uh, just to get you out of the house so that your mom could uh, just have some quietness. So I think it's harder raising kids are because your mom stayed home with you. And so I work. So it's harder on them because all of a sudden it's different. But then all of a sudden you got kids all day long. So I would come home and I'd play with you and we'd feed you. And then it's a routine. You know, we'd go outside and play a little in the front yard. You'd play with your little bikes or what, your little plastic car you know and they would come in be time to take a you know a bath and stuff where i used to go and uh, you know, your mom and i would bathe you and, and get you ready for bed and and which i always remember i i loved reading to you guys so i would read uh stories and stuff like that and you guys would always come up on it the couch and then we had that one as you got a little bit older that one about the uh uh oh what was the one it's kind of scary with the uh uh, you know, Pilgrim's Progress, I think it was the children's was version. Here. Yeah, that was here. Yeah, that was before he moved out here. So out there, it would just. So, oh, don't worry about it. So out there, it would be just all the little books, you know, the books that had 10 pages, if that were all thick, it, you know, cartoons or just little words, but. You, yeah, pictures and stuff like that. And then once you got older, you got some Dr. Seuss and stuff like that. But, uh, so then when I started working for Integrity, uh, auto specialist, uh, we just decided with church was more on this area and we wanted to be over on this side. So we ended up, so I called uh, a friend from church. His name was Chris. Uh, uh, no, it's not Chris Mann. That's what I was starting to think. Uh, Chris, honey, what was Chris's name? Uh, DeLogos. So his name was Chris DeLogos. He here. Yep, he lived in this house, and they were moving to Denver because we had a big church plant go out to Denver. All these people, like the 50 of them. Went. That's when the sloshers went too. So we wanted to move over to this side. So your mom was kind of sick, not feeling good that, that Saturday afternoon. So I called Chris because his sister-in-law lived with them, and she taught Sunday school, and I wanted to switch with her. So I called him and said, hey, is your, your sister-in-law there? And so... I don't think she was. And he's like, what are you up to? He's a real personal guy. I said, well, I'm getting my house ready because we're going to want to move over on that side of the the uh, town. And I said, why? What are you guys, what are you up to? He said, well, I'm getting my house ready for, he said, how about you come look at it and, and you guys might be interested in buying. I said, nah. He goes, it's got a pool in the backyard. I said, nah. I said, I need a four bedroom house because I had driven by and I saw that. He goes, it is four bedroom. It has a room off the back. I said, really? I said, let me come over. So I talked your mom into leaving, even though she didn't feel very good. We came over. We looked at it. Had a pool in the background. This house needed so much work. Pool wasn't up and running. Big hole in the ground. Weeds growing out of it. Probably Mosquito City. As bad as that one? Yeah. Well, no, not as bad as that one. Nothing growing in it. But um, so, yeah, you know, that's a good point. I wonder how long. It probably must have not been there that long. So uh, it ended up where... I uh, 
ended up buying it from him. So we had it all set up and he was going to just give me money after the sale to uh, end up, you know, fixing up the pool. So it ended up, he had to fix it up. So he got it all fixed up. I let him jump in, be the first one in. And then uh, they moved to Denver. And so we came in here and so we had a ton, ton of work that we did inside the house. So Sloshers haven't lived here for, since the 90s? 97 is when they moved away, yep. I like to do one of these with Mr. Slosher. I think it is fun. Yeah. Oh, I'd he, love to hear his stuff. He, he has, uh, he's very unique with his mom and dad and stuff like that up in South Dakota and, the, and problems. He, his family, like what you have with your grandparents intact and everything, he didn't have that. And so a lot of the kids, they don't do things, you know, siblings don't get together and stuff. That's why it's very, you know, unique that we're constantly getting together with, you know, I get together with Peg and Sue and, and we always went back home and, and stuff like that. But I remember one time telling you boys, I don't know if we were at the other house or over here, but I'd never let you guys fight and get into fist fights and stuff like that. Uh, one time we had boxing gloves and I let you do those. But, uh, cause I told her, I said, you guys, I said, you guys are going to be best friends when you get older and do stuff together. I said, uh, you're not going to, you know, you're going to be friends. And so we would try to do everything together if we did stuff. And so it ended up, uh, you know, that makes me happy to see you guys go rock climbing together and do all that stuff. It really, uh, well, Benjamin would go rock climbing. well, he, he did. He, he <laughs> yeah. But, uh, or, 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 and getting together and, and when you guys come out and do, well, do we, different we stuff do like that. Mario Kart. Or we watched the movie last weekend. Right. Right. Hey. So, what's that? Uh, excuse me, get something to drink there. Throat's parched. Uh, so, I do remember going and uh, you guys had one. Your mom wanted to sign you up for for uh, what they called coach pitch baseball. So I said, all right, I wanted to get you more into city leagues, but this is... Mr. Driscoll came into work the other day. Oh, did he? Yeah. Did he recognize you? No. No, that's good. I didn't say anything to him. I didn't want to talk to him. <laughs> yeah. He was actually... Like, he annoyed the crap out of the person because he wouldn't stop talking to him. Right, right. So we go to the first... This is before he took over. So we go to the first game. First... Or the first season. I don't know if it was the first game. So this guy that he was your coach, he had no clue about baseball. And he only did it because his kids were free. This is over behind the church over there by the Kimsfield Presbyterian. Yep, near the library. And it wasn't quite built out as much. So there was more property there. Of course, then too, you think it's, you know, you, you can put a coach pitch field in there, no problem. So anyways, so we go there and uh, I said, do you want me to help out? I'll go out inside the... Uh, David Elder. So I'll go out and uh, help out in the field with the kids. And he said, okay. So I go out and the kid's standing on second base. I said, what do you do, buddy? And I said, where, where are you supposed to play? And he said, I'm playing second. I said, oh, okay, come over here. I said, you, second's over here. So I move him over where a second baseman should be. And the coach is like, what are you doing? I said, well, I said, I was getting him in position. He said, he's playing second base. I said, yeah, but you don't play second base on the back. And he's like, all right, whatever. And he just kind of shakes his head like this, right? Because he had no clue. So the very first kid gets up. He hits the ball right up the middle. The pitcher misses it. Or the dad's 
pitching because it's coach pitch. So he gets out of the way, goes right, if skips right over second base. And so the coach looks out to me and he goes, see, meaning if he had played on second base, he would have got it. So he had no clue. You don't play second base on the base. You play part way, about a third of the way between from second to, to first base. So that's when I decided, you know something from here on out, I am coaching next year. So the next year I called when we went, I said, Hey, can I be a coach? And, uh, so that's when I, and also too, then, you know, I get you guys on my team. So I coached, I think I coached you one or two years and then, uh, so, okay, did I have you at three years? Yeah, so I, then I came up and I did, I did. you guys, once you left coach pitch, you went up into kid pitch, and I, I never went up with you guys there. I stayed with, I stayed with Jackson, or Phillip, and then I went down and did t-ball with, with Jackson. So we did t-ball, and then Jackson came up to coach pitch, and I don't know if Phil was still in coach pitch by then. And then I came up one year, and I did uh, kid pitch, with uh, Jackson maybe I did kid pitch with you guys but all I know is that I got all the kids from Sovereign Grace Church you know you guys and then uh, the Ackermans and, and the Gables and so we dominated like every year we and most of those kids didn't know how to play baseball at all it was pretty bad actually but uh so that was always fun going and we'd have the one practice a week and and then after the games you hand out uh Somebody brings snacks and stuff like that. And the end of the year, we'd have uh, the trophy. Everybody got a trophy, which is, I was so against that, but I had no say so in that. But anyway, so that was fun with you guys doing that in the summertime and driving down that old red truck. You guys would be in the back seat. We used to practice down off of, uh, uh, yep, off of Newtown. What was the name of that actual road? The Llewellyn, I think it was, or maybe not. Anyways, um, and then I then I ended up coaching basketball for uh, Philip and Jackson uh, when they played for Sovereign Grace. Um, so I do know that kind of once once Veritas kind of came around, uh, I didn't do quite as much. You guys always had always had so much homework and stuff like that. Uh, things kind of changed a little bit. But going back before that is. I remember summers driving up to Ohio with you guys and we'd fit everybody in the van and load everything up. We'd drive up and go up to uh, uh, Ohio. and What's that? Yep, we'd play movies, get going. I used to put the little, I saw this somebody, you take a roll up little pieces of paper towel and you put them up with a rubber band around your your visor and every hour you'd take one down. So rather than you guys saying, hey, how much longer? You could see that and be able to tell as they came down, you know, oh, you had two or three up. You guys knew we weren't getting there right away, which is a good thing to keep you from uh, wanting to know, you know, how soon we got there. But we fit a lot of stuff in the cars and we'd go up there. And uh, I wish now that I look back on it, I wish we I would have done more stuff with you guys up there. I, I was always because I hadn't seen hanging out with sitting around talking or with grandma and grandpa and doing stuff we didn't we didn't do as much as what I probably should have with you but um, do you remember doing the t- uh, tubing one time we would in winter time with in yep with Peg and I ended up staying in the car with Phil because I think he was too little or is too cold or something so we ended up not it was fun I barely remember it right right so one time Peg flew us up you remember flying in the airplane she paid for us to come up to fly up 
and and so uh so that was fun and stuff like that but they always dad grandma and grandpa would say always grandma started to forget she was starting to get kind of old but grandpa always looked forward to you guys coming in to see you he always liked that and uh used to in fact this was his chair that he used to sit in back out on the uh this was this one was out in the back porch and then he took it into the to the uh, assisted living and had it back there uh so yeah so then uh you know start you guys got in high school and then started to ben went and went and did college and surely one by one but i remember living in this house and you guys uh being here and pool parties in the backyard and just i remember doing some birthday parties for you those were always fun to do making obstacle courses and different stuff like that but uh so yeah so then uh i ended up leaving integrity in 2001 or two i became the facility manager at uh, sovereign grace church and then in 2002 and then in 2011 i ended up going to my current job that i'm at right now and uh, what is that? uh well it was with cbre now it's with jll doing facility management type work which i learned as being the facility manager at church so which uh, but now jackson and philip are working at integrity where i used to end up working at uh yeah as long as i like well, no, I'd rather have Phil ended up doing dents. It's just a lot easier on your body, but he's doing paint. Would you prefer Jackson to get his degree at school instead? Uh, I would have liked for him to get it along with doing that, but uh, he's he just didn't like it. And, you know, it's one of those things that degrees just aren't necessarily, you can do, there's a lot of work that you can do out there, you know, without it. But... Uh, he can always go back and get it if he needs to, I guess. Yes, which very proud of you of going and going back to school and sticking with it, get your degree. So I think that's a great thing uh, because really to get the money that you're worth, that's probably what you need to do for, you know, the type of work that, you know, that you're in and stuff like that. But uh, so it's been a little bit different now. I always used to remember I when you guys were little, I never played golf except when there was a church golf outing once a year, because I realized I, I can't do that. I, you know, I've got to be with you guys. I can't go off for five hours on a Saturday and leave your mom. So it was always about that. And, uh, and then once you start at Veritas and I'm just doing projects, working around here on different stuff while you're doing homework and different things. But, um, uh, it was always, it was fun, uh, doing the two liters, litters of puppies with Hazel and, you know, seeing you guys uh, work, uh, you know, playing with them and, and the puppies were so cute and stuff like that. That was always, that was fun. A lot of work, but that, that was fun. So, uh, and then Grandpa hate that name? No, your Aunt Donna did because it was oh, her mom. Time. Yeah, it was her mom's. Grandpa hated it too. No, no, Grandpa didn't care. But <laughs> Gran your Aunt Donna, she heard it. She wasn't, uh, sorry, Aunt Donna, if you're listening to this. Uh, we just thought it was a great name. We did it to to honor Grandma Rhodes. So uh, that's why we, we did Hazel two to honor Hazel the first. Yep, yep. So 
Yes. So, yeah, and I thought Hazel's a good name for a person and a dog. They don't, no one's naming kids Hazel anymore, so I thought, you know. Yeah, it's an older name, and so, uh, so yeah, so I like doing it. So she was a lot of fun. She's a good dog. You guys loved her, you know, and playing out in the backyard and all the stuff she would do and all the stuff she would chew inside here, and you guys used to chase her around. But uh, so yeah, she was fun. So it slowly kind of changed where all of a sudden you guys started to go off on your own and things, which a little it's a little harder as a parent. I think it's harder as a parent, not when you rather than having kids. Or for me, it was easier to have kids because I wanted them. I I wanted a family, but it was harder as they go. You guys go off and do your own thing, and I realized. I'm not. I'm not calling the shots anymore. You're not kids. You're adults. I can give you wis. I can give you advice, uh, and especially if you ask for it. But you know, you go off and do your own thing. I think that's the hardest part for a parent is letting you go off and do your own thing and do your own way and stuff like that. Even sometimes, if maybe you don't think it's the best way, uh, you learn from that and things. So, so that's the hard hard part. And to realize, you know, I think I what I realized too that I re- realized from my folks is that when you guys are out, oh, you're driving up like you guys drove up to Connie and all drove up there, uh, which I thought was great. I th- That really, you know, tickled me. But the whole time you're driving up there, now I realize, you know, worrying about you guys, that you're on the road, that just being careful and, you know, praying for you for safety and stuff like that. And realizing from my folks, that's how hard it was for them. Because, uh, you talk to Aunt Sue, you'll find out she went to one one semester of school, Edinburgh State University in Pennsylvania, and then she dropped out of there and she went to live with a guy on a boat and waited uh, tables in, in Vero Beach and then in, in Annapolis, Maryland for like six years. And my poor mom didn't know what she was doing or what was going on. So it's hard as, an, as a parent, you know, when kids are gone that you're not part of their life, you don't know who they're hanging out with or this or that or they okay and, and things so i think that's the hard part of parenting is that realizing you're not in control anymore uh from that standpoint but uh, yeah so i think uh any other questions that that you have let me look at my notes real quick that um, do it pretty much. and uh yeah so Well, the future generations is that with all uncertainty going out there, when you do have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have a security to know that when you've give, uh, given your life to him and ask him to help and to, to run it to some degree, that you have just a peace to know that he has your best interest at hand. Just if a parent would have the best interest as a child to make sure everything goes right, it's kind of the same thing. So it, it just gives you security in the midst of unstable times and things which we're living in and maybe even heading more into the future so that's what i would say to any uh to you guys to grandkids and future you know grandkids or great grandkids is is if you put the lord first then you know that uh he'll care for you and that uh that he has your best best at hand and so you can trust in that and have peace with that and secondly 
from that is that I'm, I'm open for grandkids anytime, <laughs> anytime things work out. So. And one last thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, what was your conversations with grandma and grandpa, like the last ones? Uh, they, were they good? Is there anything you wish you told them? Well, grandma, grandpa, uh, grandma had dementia. So I would call her and things like that. And then slowly she kind of faded away. So she didn't know who I was at the end. So that, that was hard. But grandpa was interesting. He was so sharp, you know, at the end. Uh, and so I just remember he, he had a dream and he was worried. It was very dark and things were, were, uh, uh, around him and he, he seemed somewhat frightened or scared or whatever. And I was able to pray with him that he could have, uh, basically that he didn't have to be afraid and that, uh, you know, basically he could end up, uh, knowing that, you know, when he did pass, cause he sat on the bed to me and he said, Jack, will I ever leave, you know, this place or this, you know, and I had to look at him and I said, no dad, just your health was so bad. This is three days before he died. I, I had to tell him, no, you're, you're not. But then, you know, I just said, would you like to pray? And just to make sure that you know that you don't have to be afraid when you die. And he said, yes, I would. And so we prayed. So that was one of the sweetest things talking to dad. And then uh, he was sitting there, he had bed sores and I was kind of holding him up. And uh, and he was, he was awake. He could tell I was there. His eyes were closed. But I just told him, I said, dad, I said, when you, when you get in heaven, I said, Jesus, you know, is the first person you'll see. And then I said, and then mom and grandma. And then a tear ran down his eye where he, uh, I could tell that that just affected him. And uh, so that was good. Uh, the last conversation I had, because I had shared to him a little bit about how things had changed with me and my beliefs and stuff like that. And, and, and uh, he, he always thought he was good enough as far as a good person and things like that. Uh, so at, at the end, he, he ended up in, he wanted that assurance. So that was good. That was a, a good last. I'll, I'll always remember our last conversation that I had with him and uh, just being able to be with him. And, and then I left and a couple, Peg came back and a couple of days later, I left to come back for Christmas with you guys. It was like the 23rd. I left on the 22nd. He passed on the next day on the 23rd. And uh, uh, that was 2015. So it's hard to believe it'll be seven years anyways but uh but mom i i enjoyed i used to always would call and talk to her about stuff and in things and never talked to dad much on the phone it was always mom when i was younger and things like that and then towards the end i would call and talk to dad and you know his whole thing was oh do you see the indians you know i'm i'm like no dad i got little boys i'm i don't have time to watch games they don't have mom down here and he's like oh okay okay <laughs> so he would always watch his sports that's one thing I took from dad. Dad and I always, we love sports. We talk sports together and watch it and then building stuff. And we used to go out to restaurants and we would look at stuff. Hey, look how that's made. Or we'd talk about things, how they were built and stuff like that. And uh, so I always remember doing that. Enjoyed it. So, But anyways, so how long? Well, it's two hours and six minutes. Okay, well, I think that's enough. All right. <laughs>